Middle school can be a particularly challenging time, socially, academically, developmentally, all the ways. Our guest today is going to untangle the knot of this unique developmental stage and maybe help you learn to love it a little bit more. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We're your co-host, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. As always, we appreciate you supporting our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Amy McReady's Survival Program. That's going to help you help your son manage his homework. That's going to help you turn more responsibility over to him so he can be more independent and help you all get organized so that this school year can be more successful than those in the past. Go to boysalive.com school and you'll find all the details there. Middle school, or what used to be called junior high school back in the day, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade here in the US, roughly those 11, 12, 13 year olds. Those were school years that many of us may look back on with cringeworthy stories of social awkwardness, academic struggles, and well, just general discomfort and turmoil. Because of the new landscape of middle school, it's also a time that parents who may have been really involved in elementary school feel a little more distance. Those opportunities to connect with teachers and other students are no longer as easy. And so you as mama and dad may start feeling a little less connected to what's going on with him day to day. Well, we've got a treat for you today, an actual middle school teacher and a parent, and a grandparent. He's going to lead us through the ins and outs of how to be a supportive parent for your child's teachers, and how to help guide your son to maybe enjoying his middle school years a little bit more than you did. We had Braden Bell on for our Father's Day episode, and we just knew we had to have him back. Welcome, Braden. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me back. It's lovely to be back. Thank you. It's great to have you. I'm excited for this conversation today. So tell us briefly about your teaching career and what you love about middle school, because I was a teacher and you couldn't have paid me enough to teach middle school. Just saying. <laughs> I, I think being a middle school teacher is sometimes like being, I don't know, a it, it's a, it's like a vocation. It's it's you have to sort of have it in you. It's definitely not something uh, most people can just do. And some people don't like it, which is fine. And some people love it, which is fine. I started, I was actually uh, working on my doctoral dissertation from NYU. And we needed to get out of the city because we had little children. It just wasn't a great situation. I took a job teaching middle school just so I could finish my dissertation. And that was almost 20 years ago. <laughs> so I just fell in love with it. Um, almost from the first day, uh, 
I just found it to be an age of kid that is, um, it is exciting. It is entertaining. It is challenging for sure. Uh, it is inspiring and it is also, it's just a magical time because they're in the last kind of last waning days of childhood and are starting to get a sense of what lies ahead for them as, as an adult. And it's this wonderful, magical moment. It's like the Indian summer of childhood. <laughs> and I just love being around the, the kids. It's, it's a fun group to be with. <laughs> the Indian summer of childhood. I love that, Brayden. I love that. Um, and so tell us what you teach. I teach uh, choir and I direct our school's theater program. And then I'm also um, in the administration. So I, I, I have various hats mm-hmm. as well as being, like you said, a dad. Yeah. And a granddad. And a granddad. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a sense of, you know, the school year is just starting as we record this. And I'm, I, I can just picture some uh, parents kind of, you know, wringing their hands as they send their, their little sixth graders off, off to that big, those big doors of middle school. Give us some words of, of, you know, of reassurance that it's all going to be okay. It will be okay. It is going to be okay. I think there's a few useful uh, images or metaphors to keep in mind here. It's also important to understand that we're not raising sixth graders and we're not raising seventh graders. We are raising adults, who future adults who currently happen to be in sixth grade. If we stop the film at any point during sixth grade and just look at that in isolation, it might seem really stressful because there is a lot of change or social change and physical changes and emotional changes. But if we realize that this is a natural part of becoming a happy adult, then that is going to give us a little more uh, space and freedom, I think, to roll with it and model grace and resilience ourselves and not getting too worked up. I remember I used to have a a butterfly, uh, I found a monarch butterfly near our house and it laid eggs and I had one of the caterpillars in a jar and it uh, ate the milkweed and then it spun its chrysalis. I got to watch it emerge. And it was super exciting to see that happen. I have heard that if you uh, cut open the chrysalis, though, if you make it easier for the butterfly to come out, that that actually can be fatal to the butterfly because it's through emerging and breaking out of that chrysalis that they actually develop the strength to be able to fly. And so if you open the chrysalis early or you try to help them out, you actually may stunt their growth. But it is a very, if you watch it, it is kind of a traumatic process. Like if you look at this online and watch the time-lapse, it really looks like this poor little thing is struggling, struggling. But the struggle is critical to becoming the butterfly that's going to soar you know, in the same way, I think if you were to stop um, the, the film, it would look like, gosh, this is a terrible tragedy. Why doesn't someone help that butterfly? Um, but if you look at the whole process, and so I think that's the single biggest thing, is that adolescence it does not, def- it doesn't break down well into like a year or a semester or a month. It is an entire arc of development. So if, you, if we keep that long view in mind, that helps put things in, in perspective. Well, and so important that we can 
support, we can reassure, we can be that safety net, and it's not our job to make it easier. Yes. And that's another thing that is hard to accept, but will make apparent that clarifies our role. We're there to provide love and encouragement, coaching, guidance, empathy, all those wonderful things, but our job is not to solve the problems. And I think this is really a critical thing to understand that we don't want our child to face their first problems alone when they're 25 or 30 or Mm -hmm. something like that. All of these problems in sixth grade are sixth grade sized challenges Mm -hmm. that will help them be ready for seventh grade challenges, which will position them for eighth grade challenges. And if we step in, a lot of times people say, well, I'm going to step in this once because that's just, this is really hard and and he's really upset. So uh, I'm just going to help this. And then I won't do it anymore. But once you start that, it's very difficult to, to pull it back. So it's critical to start letting go today and letting them manage their life. And that means, honestly, that means letting them experience the consequences of their actions, good or bad. There's just no other way for them to become who they're meant to be. You did a newsletter recently about how, in hindsight, the best gift your parents gave you was not stepping in, was letting you flounder your way through. This does not mean that your parents were not loving, were not supportive. Can you uh, elaborate on that? And I will include a link for those that want to read the whole thing. And I highly encourage you all to subscribe to Braden's newsletter because it is beautiful wisdom, the kind of thing that you need to hear as you're going through this stage in life. Thank you so much. Basically, I, I was trying to think about what I wanted to talk to the incoming parents at our school about. And as I was just thinking about it, it it hit me, and I've I've always appreciated this, but never had quite drawn the straight line projection. But my my mom, and she did love me. <laughs> so my dad said after the the newsletter, he said, "Man, we're going to sound like a couple of ornery old buzzards." But um, they were very loving and very supportive. But from a very early age, they just would not intervene if I had problems with the neighborhood kids, if I had problems with the teacher. They just would not step in. And she just always said, no, I, I think you can work that out. And I hated it at the time, to be honest. I, I didn't find that terribly appealing all during that time. So I had my share of bumps and bruises, social bumps and bruises and developmental bumps and bruises along the way. I was kind of a very, I was a different child in a time when we hadn't quite learned how to appreciate maybe different children. Um, It was still very much, if you were a boy, you did sports. And that was a big part of whether you were, you know, a a cool boy or not. And I, I still can't do sports. Um, I'm not coordinated. (laughs) I was not good at school. My mom made me, you know, always go back and I had to talk to my teachers about assignments I missed and things like that. I have wild ADD, which we didn't know about back then. Mm. Um, so I just, I was always kind of in trouble at school and there's stress uh, with, you know, lack of homework and missing assignments. And I just always had, my mom always made me work it out. And so I, my thing was theater and I didn't really know this because it wasn't something, I don't know, maybe there were some places that had theater groups, but not, not many in the early eighties in my little, my, my little town. 
So at 15, I decided I wanted to, to direct a play. And so I called the principal of the elementary school and uh, talked to him and kind of pitched the idea to him and had to come up with a proposal. And I got some teachers on board, including my fifth grade teacher who had no reason to have warm feelings for me at all, but <laughs> she agreed to play the piano. <laughs> she was very supportive. Um, and then I, I had auditions and I had like, I think I had like 500 kids show up and I had a hundred in the cast. And so then I, I had to manage the oh, kids. Wait, I, I had to I gotta stop you here. I gotta stop you here. <laughs> Part of what I loved about reading this newsletter, you know, we all filter things through our own experiences, right? So this summer, one of my nieces just barely turned age 18, put on a show that she directed independently this year. It was her idea, her whatever. She did the cast, you know, worked with the costumes, sets, the whole thing. And like, talk about an audacious goal. It's huge. Her show only, and I'm putting air quotes around this, it only had like 30 people. And I thought, this is crazy. You know, she took this on and she's trying to, a hundred, Braden? A hundred. And this is kind of why I tell this story is it just didn't occur to me that I couldn't do it. That's the thing. Is it what? And now in retrospect, I'm like, that was crazy. Like, I'm surprised they didn't call DCS or something. Um, but it worked, it worked really beautifully. And I realize now that all those times my mom made me ride the bus to go to the mall instead of chauffeuring me, or all the times I had to go talk to adults with whom I had a problem or a challenge, and all the times I had to go work out my problems with my peers. Each one of those was a small step to building autonomy and competence. And I really believe that, I think we maybe get things a little wrong when we talk about self-esteem. My observation is that if we can help a child develop competence in something, that that then creates confidence and self-respect that's more durable than just kind of a, an overall self-esteem. So my mom gave me this wonderful gift. I just didn't, it didn't occur to me, I couldn't do this. And I, I was not terribly confident in many ways. So it wasn't like I just was gifted with this unusual confidence. I just kind of thought I could make it work. And I did. I watched the video actually of this not long ago. It was very cute and sweet. It, it certainly isn't, you, you know, you, no one's going to win a Tony for this. Or, uh, but it was really quite magical. And the applause was very genuine. And this sort of sense of just um, something marvelous had happened. What is it that you teach now? I mean, this is right. so important. Yeah, I, I now have a PhD in theater from NYU. And I have had a happy, fulfilling career teaching middle school theater. That also, that little play that I did then led to a really well-paid job in high school because the school district hired me to do plays for the whole district and gave me a lot of resources and paid me very well. I made friends. So this was, you know, all of the bumps and bruises, this was the answer to them. Mm -hmm. And had my mom, I just, I cringe now to think what might've happened to me if my mom had given in to that very powerful impulse to protect and help and intervene mm -hmm. and shield and insulate. So mm -hmm. that's in a nutshell, that's the, that's the story. Wow. Now I've got to, you know, we've, we're talking how many years ago, 20 years ago, wish the, that you started on your teaching, path. teaching. Oh yes. And now 
in those days, so you're doing the theater and, you know, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have a phone in your hand. And so fast forward to now, and I'm, I'm just thinking of the parents that I work with, and they're probably saying, yeah, that was great then, but now I can't get my son off of his device. What do I do about that? How do I encourage? So talk to us about tech, Brayden. All right. So I have a couple very divergent opinions. <laughs> I have my dad <laughs> opinion and I have my school administrator opinion. There you go. <laughs> um, the first thing I would say is I think parents really ought to read widely and hear a variety of voices on this. Uh, Devorah Heitner is, is a leading kind of guide on, on managing tech and, and the intersection with childhood. She's one, but there's, there's a lot of other people, but if you just do a quick Googling, you know, sorry, some quick Googling, you'll, you'll find some voices. I have found as a parent, I, with my older kids, I was super restrictive. We just, they were limited to this amount of time and this amount of, you know, that there was just no flexibility with my younger kids. I've been a lot more collaborative and I've tried to explain our, our concerns as parents and what, why we think it matters that there's some boundaries, but then we work together. So I'll say, okay, I'm concerned about this not taking all of your time. I want you to still interact with us. You've got to do your homework. So why don't you propose a boundary that sounds reasonable to you that will accomplish the things that mom and I are concerned about? And then we, you know, there's a, now that's a great conversation and it usually works for about three days at the most. And so, so then <laughs> we have to try to get bit of reality there. <laughs> I do think we're kind of habituated to this idea that you have one talk with your kid and it, it fixes. I mean, that's yeah, kind of a sitcom that way. Yeah. So it's constant engagement. It's a talk followed by another talk, another talk. And Janet, you used the term the other day. I love this um, micro connections, I believe was you, you wrote mm -hmm. about that. Mm -hmm. I think micro conversations are a great, a great mm -hmm. tool too. So, you know, you nudge your child and, Hey, uh, I feel like you're, you're slipping into being, you know, pretty isolated lately. So let's relook at this. This episode is sponsored by, by heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, Use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about Byheart Baby Formula. Byheart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on Byheart have softer poops less spit up, and easier digestion. Byheart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider Byheart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at byheart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order, byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer, and additional terms and conditions may apply. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. 
How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin. And I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve. And I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. Yeah, and you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no. And they taste good. And they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants, not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot Easy Melts, E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash onboys. This has been a harder parenting approach, but I feel like it's been far, far more productive. Mm -hmm. That said, I do feel like I need to say boys especially can get in a lot of trouble on their their tech. I, I really think it is not helpful to the boy. I don't think it's wise to just let him have a phone or Apple Watch or, or any device without some fairly, whatever you decide that is, but it can't just be here you go and let them, they need to know there are words they can never say, and they need to know what those words are because they'll hear them in some of the music they listen to, or they'll hear them from buddies, or they'll hear them. It's, it's everywhere. We, we all know that they need to understand very clearly. However you want to phrase it. You do not ever take a picture of yourself without clothes on. You never, you never ask for, I mean, like, but they have to have clarity. So often we say like, don't do anything inappropriate. Yeah, um, which means leaving, nothing to them. Right, that? right. Yeah. And and I think they are even sincere when they say, oh, okay. They right. need to know what they should do if they get, if someone sends a sext to them, um, yes. they need to know what to do because there's actually very clear, you know, laws. I mean, there's a legal issue there about how, what you're supposed to do. There's just, they need to have this. And then we've got to bring that up with them constantly, preferably over a favorite uh, food item or something or, or other mm -hmm. activity that they like. And Brayden, are schools talking about this? Are teachers talking about this? Or th is this on the parents to educate their I mean, kids about? It's on the parents. I, different schools have different policies. And, and I know just even locally, I, I know there's policies ranging from anytime a child at our school does anything online, we reserve the right to act on it if it interferes with the school day. So if it involves another student, and I know other schools that say anything that happens after school, we are simply not going to respond to because we don't have the resources mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. track down and investigate every possible mm -hmm. bad action on social media. And even if a school does try, there's just going to be lapses and they can't get everything. The other thing is a school has to investigate. We have to, like, schools have to do uh, due diligence. Mm -hmm. Whereas a parent can say, okay, that is it. I am taking your phone for a week. End of story. Um, <laughs> parents can be a lot more, parents can open a phone and look and see what's going on. So there's a lot of things just cannot count on schools 
for this. It's really got to come from the home. I want to take a minute and circle back a little bit, because when you were talking about how your parents facilitated basically the development of competence and then confidence within you, one of the things that you mentioned briefly, and we kind of glossed over is you had what was ADHD then, even if it wasn't necessarily identified or named because we didn't know as much then as we did now. What I found really interesting is that even though you have ADHD, your parents approached you very much as you are capable. You are a competent human being. Yes, you're all over the place sometimes, but they held on to this faith that you can do these things. And that can be difficult sometimes, you know, as parents, I'm sure you've felt this yourself as a parent, we are so conscious of what our kids can't do. We're so conscious of their challenges that sometimes I think we spend our time there and we forget that by focusing on that, we are missing opportunities to help them develop their strengths. Yeah. So one of the things I've learned, I did my first play a long time ago. So I've been directing or teaching now for almost, I think it's like 36 years. It's been a while. And one of the great things about adolescents is they don't know what they are not capable of yet. They tend to assume they can do anything. And I've seen them do that. Like I have seen kids do just incredible, amazing things. And they often do it differently than adults. And it's often a little messier than an adult, or maybe it looks less organized. But I think if we start with the assumption that our child can do far more than we probably think they can, that is almost always going to be true. No matter what you think, your child can almost certainly do more. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be equally good at everything. And nor should you use that as like a cudgel to try to, you know, get after the teacher or the coach or whoever you feel like isn't seeing your child's potential. But between you and your child, they can almost always do more. And if they're properly supported and if they're motivated, they can, the other thing though is it has to be on their time. You simply cannot. It's like, again, I, mean, I come back to this caterpillar uh, chrysalis thing. You just can't make it happen on schedule. And I think because of college admissions and the stress that that brings, I think that has backed us up in a lot of ways. That's gone kind of down the educational chain. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, we've got, this is the last year. You've got to get your grades together this year because then we've got to work on your community service next year. But the problem is, is that children don't always respond to that. Generally speaking, broad generalization, but generally speaking, the timeline for males is slower in comparison than for females. So a lot of our, and I'm saying our, you know, parents, teachers, expectations for boys, what we'd like them to be doing is sort of out of line with where they are neurologically and biologically. Doesn't mean they're not going to get there. It just means you're going to fight and be frustrated a lot if you're trying to make it happen now. Yes, that is so true. And any, I think any parent, will benefit from trying to maybe immerse themselves a little bit in learning just about some basic uh, child development. You know, there's so much, you mentioned the neuroscience. I mean, that has been, that's something we understand far more, Mm -hmm. but the, and then just to tag on that, I have seen my own 
boys struggle often through middle school, struggle often through high school even. And then at some point, something kicks in. And for all of them, it's been different. I remember my junior year, it was just like something switched on and I cared about my grades. And from then on, I've always been a, almost a straight A or B student. Um, before that, there was no punishment. There was no incentive. There was nothing that made me, that's kind of scary now. Cause if you're thinking, Oh, he's got to be ready for college. Uh, well, maybe he doesn't, maybe he can take a gap year or maybe he, he can, can still be okay. Exactly. Yeah. My I mean, husband it's... will tell you his switch flipped in his mid twenties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's super smart, but none of that stuff beforehand mattered to him. Yeah. He didn't care and he wasn't ready. And in hindsight, now that he is, you know, in the second half of his life, he can see that this is the typical developmental trajectory of males in his family specifically. They mature mm. later and they become wonderful contributing members of society. It just takes them a little longer. Too, I'm glad you mentioned that. I think one of the things I appreciate, both of you approach this with such empathy <laughs> and matter of factness. I hear people joke about boys' development and, and it is kind of funny. Like I, I, I have joked about it sometimes with my sons too. Like I, I'm not saying we should never joke, but I have noticed that people will often joke about boys' development in a way they would never ever do with a girl we would never make fun of a girl for i'm not saying girls don't get they get some teasing too but i just feel like in general we understand that there's a timeline with girls and certain things happen at certain times and it's not like a a huge i don't know it's not like a huge punchline i'm not saying there's not none of that but i feel like so many people just we kind of like joke around the boys like uh it's somehow their fault or well they'll finally catch up when really it's our system, like nature designed these boys to do very certain things and they, that was very successful for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Our, our system has evolved in a way that is not terribly friendly to them. So it's not their fault. They're not dumb. They're not bad. It, it can be really frustrating. I will acknowledge. And some of the things that culturally, I think we consider as negatives have a very positive flip side. You mentioned that teenagers don't know what they can't do right? They don't necessarily have that awareness yet. One of the aspects of teenagers related to that is teenagers are prone to take risks in a way that we are not at other points in our life, which is evolutionarily and developmentally like very appropriate. This is how you get them to leave the nest and try things. Impulsivity is related to ADHD, but these are the things that spur people to do things like I'm going to direct a play with a hundred people in it when I am 15 years old or start a lawn mowing business or mm-hmm. yes. coach, coach little league at a young, I mean, there's so many. And I, I think that the big thing too, as we think about boys is if they can find one thing they're really good at one thing that challenges them and pushes them, it doesn't matter what it is, but they've got to have one thing that really stretches them. I think And one thing that is just, they're good at it and they get lots of uh, wonderful, whether it's feedback or endorphins or whatever it is, something that stretches and something that makes them feel like they have purpose and meaning. And and that is going to look so different for every kid. But I, I do feel like those two things 
are, are kind of like, uh, like as you're paddling this rowboat down the, the shoals of puberty heading for the falls, you need two paddles. <laughs> <laughs> one is that I can do really great things. And one is like, okay, this is hard, but it's going to stretch me. And I, I think both of those are really critical. Hey, let me ask you this though, as we're talking about middle school and middle school boys specifically, so often the thing that our boys are really interested in and you know, usually that's their zone of greatness is going to be related to something they're interested in is something that is not part of the school day whatsoever is something that they may want to spend all their time on. And they're like, why do I need to go do this dumb school stuff anyway? What do we do with that? I mean, my go-to for that is I've tried to explain to my boys so many times why it's important that they get an education. Why does it matter to know history? Why do they have to learn about math? And it never goes anywhere. But one thing I have found that usually works is I say, look, for the rest of your life, you are going to have limitations. You're going to have a boss. You're going to have a job. You're going to have to pay your bills. And you have to do that stuff before you can do the fun stuff. It's Mm -hmm. just how life goes. So we can argue about whether school is optimal or good or how it's structured, whether you like it or just like fine. And yet you have to do it. And so if you fight it and make it miserable, it's going to be miserable and it's going to magnify its significance Mm -hmm. in your life. If you can just learn to put your head down and get it done, then you're going to have more time to do the stuff you like. But that's also kind of how life works. We have to pay the bills. I've also found as a parent that if I, as a parent, see and respect the other things that they want to do and make time and space for that, that then they're willing to give a little bit and like, okay, I'll go do this other thing, even though it's not really what I'd prefer to be doing right now. I think that's really true. I've seen teachers who are really good to show up at games that their kids have. Um, I remember one year my boy was playing baseball and his fourth grade teacher showed up on the weekend. I mean, it was was Saturday. I think two teams from his grade were playing that day and she showed up to watch. And I I mean, like that was a small thing, but man, they noticed that. And I, I think we can find those little things, teachers or parents, if we can uh, show our interest. And actually, this is a kind of cool little side note. My grandfather had a saying that you can actually find online credit to him if you look for it, but it's, he would say, you can pretend to care, but you can't pretend to show up. And I, I really feel like that is a lot of wisdom with boys. Like you can Mm. say you love them, but if you're not at least with some degree of regularity where, where they want to be, then it's, it will, it's going to kind of ring hollow. And that's a very difficult, but also potentially liberating thing to, yeah. to be able to keep in mind. Yeah. You can pretend to care, but you can't pretend to show up. That's great wisdom. And Jen will put that in the show notes because you might want to go back and find it. I want to talk about, and this is maybe personal because when I was teaching, I said so many times, I wish I could just teach and I didn't have to deal with the parent. Sorry, everybody that was in my class, all those kids, that was the hardest thing was that relationship with the parents and, and for parents now it's all shifted. 
because there's multiple teachers and and parents may feel reluctant. When do I reach out to a teacher? I don't want to bother this teacher. Meanwhile, the teacher's going, if I only knew that this big thing happened, I could have helped this child in a different way. So give us some guidance on how to create that, as you called it, that allyship between parents and teachers. What are some do's and don'ts? I'm I'm so glad you asked about that. I think this is really important. So a couple of things to start is you have to start by making sure your child's teacher knows you. And that starts with things like showing up at parent teacher night or like whatever the event is. And I, parents are so busy now, but if the first time you contact them is because there's a problem or you have a complaint, you, you've automatically are starting you've taken a few steps back. Like you're starting at a a little bit of a deficit. If you know the teacher, then it's so much easier to have a sense of this. So from the start, do all you can to build a relationship. I'll tell you another thing, like teachers teach, because generally speaking, they really want to make a difference. Like that's why they do it. It's not for pay. I mean, so they respond really well to pretty small things, like getting an email saying, Hey, I just appreciate you. Uh, the other day, Robert said that they had really fun lesson in class. Like, I mean, three sentences, but if you can just sprinkle little things like that every now and then you're building enormous capital upon which you can later draw. So start with that in mind, like any other relationship, you have to invest in it. They're professionals. They, you don't owe them big gifts or anything like that. I mean, that's lovely, but a few basic human courtesies is something that's going to help. The second thing is if you anticipate, like if your child's had particular problems in previous years, it might be wise to email the teacher and say, I wonder if there's a time I could meet with you to discuss some things we've seen in the past. So try to be a little proactive. It's always easier to talk about something before it's happened. Mm -hmm. Now, anytime you contact a teacher, I would really encourage you to start with a email that says, I would like to speak with you. Now give them a sense of what you want to speak about. So they're not just a dreading it and authorizing it. And also, so they have a little time to think. So you say, I really would like to talk to you about, I know you're busy. I'm happy to talk to your convenience. Please call me. Here's my number. Just realize that teachers have, you know, they're getting these kinds of emails all day long from, you know, they're getting multiple emails from parents. They're getting lots of emails from administrators and and colleagues. So give them a little time and let them reach out to you. Don't text them. Even if you know them outside of school, don't text them at home. That puts them in a really difficult position. You and they both need to have these boundaries intact. So always email them. Never expect a response outside of school hours. If they do, that's great, but don't demand that they call you immediately. You also need to just keep in mind in in most schools, it's kind of designed to be not super responsive to parent complaints like that. There's a reason that that's the case. Just understand you're going to generally catch a lot more flies with some honey here than, than vinegar. And if you really alienate the teacher, there's probably not that much you can do about it. So start just kind of slow and gentle. Now, if someone bullies your child and bullying is persistent meanness by someone who is more powerful, that might be physically, emotionally, socially, intellectually, but repeated power imbalances with 
the intent to hurt is bullying. Mm -hmm. Just someone having a lot of fights, that's not bullying. So, but bullying needs to be reported. And to be totally honest, different schools respond with varying degrees of help. And I, I, that's, I think, a real problem that the, the school system in general needs to figure out. So report bullying immediately or, or harass, like, like any kind of harassing behaviors, that kind of thing you really, you need to report quickly, but for general problems, you know, ask your child, um, give some benefit of the doubt. If you hear something that happened, it may be true, but it might also be a little bit Mm -hmm. one-sided. I always tell the parents, like, if you, promised me to only believe half of what you hear about class. I promise you I'll only believe half of what I hear about home. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, cause it does go both ways. Uh, um, ask questions, you know, could you please help me understand But just uh, boundaries are really, really important. A, a teacher is not on call 24 seven. They can't be, there's just no way they can do that without burning out. They've got families and a life too. So don't don't be demanding. You can be urgent without being demanding. Um, I'm not saying you have to just be kind of like a, a marshmallow or a Hallmark card all the time. Start with the teacher. Don't go directly to the principal because almost always the principal is going to then go back to the teacher. Mm-hmm. And so you haven't really escaped talking to the teacher. You've just now kind of created some tension that doesn't need to be there. Now, if the teacher is being abusive or unprofessional, that that may need to go directly to the principal. I'm talking about kind of the normal, basic things every day that happen. Sometimes a teacher needs to just apologize. And, and I know a lot of teachers who approach correctly have just said, you're right. I'm so sorry. I was I was not thinking clearly. Please accept my apology. And then it's done. I think those are great guidelines. Certainly we can't give every, this is what you do in this specific circumstance, but the, the general approach somebody as an ally rather than an adversary makes a huge difference. Let them get to know you and respect the fact that they are humans with their own stresses, needs, lives as well. Respect those boundaries. These are the basics of relationships, period. Right parent-teacher relationships. And in doing this, we're also role modeling for our kids what respectful relationships look like. And if that's not a huge part of parenting middle schoolers, I don't know what is. One other thing, I I wonder if I could just add to that, Jennifer, you just, you triggered a thought in my mind. I think it's important to understand whenever society can't figure something out, we argue about it, we debate about it, and we have culture wars about it. But school has to go on every single day. So we can't figure out what to do about COVID a couple of years ago, right? Well, mm-hmm. the school, schools had to figure, and some of them did a really crummy job, and some of them did an okay job. But the, the point is, is, you know, we can't figure out what we're going to do collectively about, you know, bilingual students or students who are immigrants. But, you know, our country's fighting about immigration, but those children are going to have to go to school every day. And the school's got to figure it out. We haven't figured out what we're going to tell kids about sex or about, you know, complicated historical episodes or current hot button topics. And so, but, but every, the school doesn't have the luxury of just punting that down the road. They're there every day with these kids. So understand that you can't put your teacher in as a proxy for the culture war. 
Um, they may do things you disagree with. And I think that's fair game. I think you should talk to them if you do, but we can't make every parent teacher interaction just a skirmish or a proxy for the larger culture wars because schools have to go on day in day out and even though we can't the rest of us can't figure out what we're going to do in the larger society schools have to just sometimes make some really they've just got to decide what to do and sometimes they do great and others they don't but it's un, it's important to understand what the realities and the constraints that, that they're laboring under are that is such an excellent point. You know, we can argue at large in other newspapers and radio shows and social media and wherever we gather with other people. Meanwhile, there are kids who need nurturing in schools, in our homes. We don't have the luxury of waiting to see which side is right or who wins the war. We're navigating the, the messy middle, which... Yeah. <laughs> is also middle school. So give grace all around to yourself, to your kiddos, to the teachers, to the educators, because they're humans who are trying to grapple with all of this as well. And let's face it, sometimes, yes, you care about the kids, but you're also doing this job because you want to feed your family. So Mm -hmm. And also parents should be careful with their social media. Once you start bad-mouthing a teacher or a school on social media, even if maybe, I mean, I don't know, maybe they kind of deserve it, but you have ratcheted up several, several levels and it's going to be, it's hard to Mm deescalate. So, I mean, you can always escalate more if you need to. So start with the most uh, moderate response to your concerns. Mm -hmm. Don't just jump on social media and say, I'm so mad. I mean, maybe at some point you might need to do that. I I don't know. I I would never say that would never, ever be appropriate, but it should not be the first, first step. Um, That can become a form of bullying, quite frankly, um, if we look at power differentials. So that's another thing to, to be aware of and to be modeling. Yes. So much modeling we're doing. Brayden, you have this amazing newsletter. I love reading it every time it comes across my email, full of more of this wisdom that you've shared with us today. I don't know how you have the time to write this newsletter, but I'm really (laughs) glad you do. Tell our listeners how they can subscribe and get that wisdom in, in their inbox every single week. Thank you so much. Um, I have time because it's my ADD. ADD is now my superpower. <laughs> it used to be the bane of my existence, but now it's my superpower. So the it's um it's on Substack, and I think if you Google it, you could probably find it. Braden Bell. The name is actually Parent Teacher Conference. So it's Parent Dash Teacher Conference. Um, and I think the subtitle is a teacher dad on parenting teens. I think the URL is bradenbellphd.substack.com. But okay. I think if you Google it, you should probably be able to find or it. Or if you go to our show notes where I will have a link for you to click and boom, yes. it'll be right there. Yeah. And listeners, be just a just better. a little interjection here. If you haven't gone to the show notes every single episode, Jen puts amazing resources and connections in there, as well as a summary of what we've talked about. So show notes, show notes, show notes. I have to ask an important question before we go. Yes. Braden, what was the first show you directed? <laughs> I'm a tiny bit reluctant to say this because I didn't know about copyright at the time. And so <laughs> I just, 
I just watched the video over and over and transcribed it on an old manual typewriter. It was, it was Mary Poppins. And please don't come at me, Disney. I, we didn't make any money on it. I promise you. Um, I, I now am carefully and assiduously attentive to copyright and licensing. I did that play though, because it really worked. Like there were lots of these little discrete groups, like penguins yeah. and there's chimney sweeps and there's, so that's why I chose that. So that's a, yeah, it was Mary Poppins. Oh. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Brayden, one last kernel of wisdom, maybe, and I'm thinking it's might be something that you share with your students that you speak to them often that they hear as inspiration from you. Okay. This is, I'm glad you asked this. This is actually from a student to me that I've tried to pass on. So years ago, I had a class that was, the whole grade was very difficult socially. There was a lot of, just a, a lot of drama and turmoil and angst and social you know, this, and then there'd be a repercussion. It was a really hard social class. I noticed there was one girl who never seemed to be drawn in when everyone, literally almost everyone else was. And it was a girl I had I'd given voice lessons to. She'd been in some plays and I, I knew her really well. And so I pulled her aside once and I just said, what, what is the secret? You're not pulled into all this stuff. Tell me what you do differently. And this is like a 14 year old. And she looked for a minute and she said, you know, I've just learned that if I choose the kindest possible response in any situation, everything in my life works out. And so that is what I will pass on from this sweet, wonderful uh, 14-year-old student who I think she spoke something really true, though. That's, it's, <laughs> you can sit with that for a while, and it's hard to poke any holes in what she said. So that's, I, I like to echo her words. I'm going to be thinking about that all day. Me too. Brayden, thank you so much. We'll let you get back to your uh, school administrative duties, to your teaching duties. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy, busy life to share with us about middle school. Thanks for having me. You two do, and thanks for, just for all the work you do. You just amazing work. Both of you, your individual letters, this podcast is just wonderful. So thank you both. Listeners, hopefully this has given you some new insights into middle school, whether you're in it, whether you've passed it, whether you see it looming on the horizon. So many good all around parenting tips and information about middle school development from Braden Bell. Our friend Amy McCready has that Sir Thrival program for you. That's going to also help you get aligned with him, turn over responsibility, help him manage this busy life that he has in a successful way. Go to boysalive.com school and you'll find all the details there. That's boysalive.com school. Listeners, if you've found this episode helpful and valuable, please share it with a friend. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast, and we are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of BuildingBoys.net and Janet Allison of BoysAlive.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.